Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to start season three of Life After Court Street with the Ohio University Sports Administration Program uh, presented by AECOM and excited to have our two guests uh, to start off episode one of the series in Ryan Holmes, Director of Corporate Sales at the Cincinnati Bengals and Shelby Jacobs, Director of Corporate Partnerships at the LA Clippers, um, both of whom were involved from a naming rights perspective as as both of their teams uh, have recently added a name to the stadium so um, nonetheless ryan shelby welcome thank you all right so let's kick this off Uh, both of you ohio bobcats of course uh here with co-host laura waters brown um What's the one thing that you cherish from Athens that has carried you into your career today? Oh, way to start out tough, Jake. It's tough. That's a great question to start today. Um, So I have a unique one since I did the online program from Ohio. So I only got to spend a handful of times in Athens, probably three or four, but that was three or four too many times in my mind. Um, I don't know how you guys do it uh, for two years right after college. So kudos to you guys. Um, But I would say hands down, it was the networking and it was, we had a great cohort in our PMSA program um, of 2020 and a lot of different backgrounds, gaining different perspectives. And so when we would all hang out, meet up in-person residencies in Athens and then the National Sports Forum in Vegas was where we um, got to know each other quite well. And so it was always fun just to get different perspectives on career journeys. Um, you know, if we had something going on at work and um, there's a conflict or something, you know, we could always talk to one another and see how they handle um, different problems and different solutions too. So it was just great being able to have those relationships um, and to pick each other's brains in our careers. Yeah, I think uh, so. I, I was I was in Athens a few years after working in the quote unquote real world, so um, it was a little bit of a different adjustment for me. But um, it's a cheesy, it's a stock answer. It's the relationships, no doubt. Um, and I'm, it's an easy one for me because I met my wife in Athens. So, um, and we're both still in the industry, and uh, so Athens will forever have a, a special place in my heart in the program as well. So it's an easy one. Ryan, what was that like? Cause I, I took two years off and yeah. was in the quote unquote real world before going back to school and always um, thought that that made my experience that much more uh, enriching uh, yep. and just like, I think I, it gave me a little more fire when I came to ask questions, what about you? How did that, how did taking those kind of two years off um, after college adjust in your, in your opinion, um, your experience there? Great question. For me, it was a reset. 
because I, I didn't have much direction. I, I was a college athlete. My dad was a, a coach. I, that's what I thought I was going to do. Um, whereas everybody else in my class, they knew they wanted to work in sports at their different verticals F- from the time they were likely a fresh, maybe even in high school, they knew they were. And I didn't even knew jobs that I had today existed really. So for me, uh, it was a reset and, and a really unique opportunity to be in a room with a ton of high achievers. And, and, um, I've been around some great people in my life, but, you know, I remember sitting in the first class of, of our MBA year and looking around the room and everyone telling their story and being like, wow, I got to step it up. So for me, it was, it was a reset and, um, you know, helped me gain some maturity, uh, exposure to career planning, things like that, which was, has been very beneficial. Shelby, what about, what about you? Cause you like, I've now been in the industry for double digit years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually, somebody told me I was old yesterday. I got called sir the other day and I was really upset. I felt some type of way. The the specific (laughs) quote from this person was, yeah, you know, like rapper Trina, cause you know, she's like an OG. And I was like, First of all, Trina is not old. Second of all, she's still the baddest of the same. But Shelby, you were out and working and then decided to go back to school while still working, which I don't think I could do. Talk about kind of your decision to do that. Like, why? Yeah, it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to further my education and get a master's degree. You know, I think out of college, I was at a place where I just wanted, I didn't want to continue education right after I graduated. I wanted to get into the real world. And I knew, you know, I was in a unique position. I knew from the get-go that I wanted to be in the sports industry, just grew up a huge sports fan at the University of Nebraska, got hands-on experience in the athletic department, really liked everything um, that athletics had to offer. And so got that experience with IMG College um, and met a couple of Bobcats along the way. Um, Kayla Krissick, Paul Woody, shout out from Air Force Academy. Um, and when I was there, you know, it always been in the back of my head. And then when I moved out to LA, it was like a perfect time just to continue the education. It was one of those things I wanted to, it was on my bucket list, 30 under 30, you know, just uh, get it done before I turned 30. So I did it um, uh, at year 28. And it was a great experience. Um, yes, I was already in the industry, but for me, it was just about furthering my education, gaining different perspectives, and just continuing to learn as much as possible and gaining a greater network within the industry as well. Both of you have talked about your network and, and relationships. And you know, a lot of people think about, okay, well, I need my network to get the next job, or I need my network to uh, help me progress internally wherever I am. But how do you use your network externally to, to lean on people for best practices or ideas or uh, problems, you know, that you're having, uh, you know, from, from whether it's client perspective or internal workplace, et cetera. I'm happy to go. I, I from my perspective, one of the, the biggest challenges with a network is, and, and Jake, your question kind of framed it up perfectly is I think a lot of people always think about what can they gain from their network as opposed to what can they give 
And so from my perspective, and, and that's a challenge sometimes is like, cause you're always reaching out asking and like, especially in sales, you're always asking for help or always asking for the, you know, feedback, whatever it may be. So, you know, I think the best network or the best relationships I have in my network are where it's a two-way street, where if someone's coming to me, they know that I can help them and, and I'll, and they'll help me in return. And, um, and maybe it's not every call, maybe, you know, just got off a call with a buddy yesterday where he was just feeding me some information. It was really helpful, but I didn't really have anything to give, but he knows when I do, I'll call him. So I think that that's the key is that you always make sure it's a two-way street and, and not everyone's going to be open or comfortable there, but I think it's, it's finding ways to, to provide value and give value to, you know, people that you care about um, it professionally or personally is, is huge. And, and that's, something that I try to do. I think my network within the NFL, like we're, we're going through a CRM potential change right now. And I'm, I'm planning on reaching out to, you know, 10 to 12 of my closest friends in the league to see how they use it, what they do. And, and those types of conversations, it's not just sales. It's, it's everything that can be helpful. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I've really leaned on my network, I think at the start of COVID. Um, and it's just continued to grow since then. And the NBA has done a great job. We have a great group of female sellers within the NBA, which we talk to monthly. There's a smaller group of us that we talk to daily and we lean on each other for best practices. And it's really an open forum. Um, we share anything from conflict resolutions to clients, um, you know, perspectives to best practices, um, to what are you seeing in your market, um, to salary negotiations. And we've seen, because it's something that hasn't been talked about, especially among women in sports. And so we're having this open forum now and we're seeing a lot of good come from it. A lot of women in the industry have seen promotions and growth within the last couple of years because we're being more open and collaborative with one another. And I think that's where networking really helps out. Um, and so, you know, we've done a good job within the NBA. And then I think um, just leaning on my network outside of the NBA as well to gain different perspectives from different leagues around the industry, just to see best practices and how we can help each other, because that's what it's about. It's helping each other. You know, I may see something in the LA market that might resonate with someone out in New York or the Midwest. And so how can we just bounce ideas off of one another? I love that. I love that show because I think one of the questions Jake and I get all, get all the time, and I'm sure you all too, when you know students uh, hit you up on the LinkedIn or in the email once they figure out what the like the naming convention is on the on the for the team. That's my favorite. Um, but when they say, you know, why go back to get a master's? What's the value of the degree? Um, what makes Ohio, you know, different than all the other programs? I think you both just explain that it's, you know, I can, I can feel Dr. Kirch like screaming in my ear right now, but like, I'm gonna say it, it is the network and it is the connections and it's those private conversations that you both describe that allow you to move forward in this industry, uh, that makes, the program and the degree valuable, if you will. Um, Shelby, Dick, I want I want you to talk a little bit more about the support of um, your colleagues and your your classmates, your um, other women classmates, um, and just kind of what that meant to you. Once you did you know that existed before going to the program, or is that something you all just kind of created 
naturally? So we only had, uh, there were a couple of us women. Um, I think we had three total um, within my cohort. So it was very male dominated, um, which was great. You know, it's still good to learn from your male counterparts and allies um, in the industry. But yeah, I mean, we were able to, to bounce ideas off of each other and the support of one another, just, you know, what are you seeing, especially being a woman and a minority in the industry um, and just sharing our similarities as well as our differences that we're facing in the workforce. So it's definitely helped having that support group and just leaning on one another, um, but then also having the male support as well, um, being able to provide their perspective and how they can help um, just improve the, the workforce and everything that we're going through um, in the industry as well. Let's get to uh, a little naming rights as we continue the conversation. And Shelby, we'll start with you because yours yours happened prior to uh, the Bengals one. And, and we'll start with uh, one, just where does the process start, right? So the Intuit Dome, uh, obviously Intuit being, being the corporate sponsor, um, where does that process start and, and being in sales? Is that, is that a quick process for you? Is it a long one? Um, how does it work? And ultimately, uh, what does it do to impact the organization and, and kind of the community around it? Yeah, so it's, it's relatively a similar process as any sell that you're trying to make. Um, and with the organization. And it's it starts with the prospecting and the market research, you know, looking at brands that make sense, um, who have the resources, maybe who have a big footprint in the market that you're in um, to be able to create that synergy and that alignment. And so Intuit was a natural fit for us from day one. And um, I had become aware of them. Obviously they were big with TurboTax and the NFL doing a lot of media. And so from a seller, you just look at what are brands doing in the market? What are they advertising? Are they doing different things with different teams and different markets? And then seeing um, you know, what they're doing in your state. So in California, they have a big office up in the Bay Area. TurboTax is down in San Diego. LA lays in the middle of both. So there's a great fit just from an employee footprint standpoint, as well as a customer footprint standpoint. And then you read everything about what the company is doing from a sustainability standpoint, from a customer standpoint, FinTech is obviously growing and into it continues to grow and acquire um, new brands as well. And you always see their CEO on CNBC um, telling the story and how they continue to grow and profit year over year and then what they're doing in the community. And so all of those things just align so well that they made sense to have that initial conversation with. So it always starts with the market research, the prospecting um, and reaching out to make that connection um, and then let it go from there and go to market for the opportunity that you um, have with the team. And for us, it was perfect timing as we were looking for a naming rights partner. Shelby, is that a conversation when you start it with Intuit that it's like, hey, we're talking about this or is it the needs analysis to find out that they're looking for something bigger? Yeah, so our conversation actually started before we went to market. So having built that relationship already um, was huge. And so we started that conversation back in 2019. Um, and I remember having that first initial call and it was one of those things, you know, they hadn't quite figured out their strategy. And as a seller, you hear that time and time again. And so it's just one of those things that you need to, um, you know, continue following up and building that relationship for when they do figure out their strategy and when the time is right. And so we didn't have anything big at the moment. Um, and we knew that 
once we went to market for naming rights, like they would be our first call. Um, and that's exactly what happened about a year and a half later. And so just continuing that dialogue and following up throughout the you know year and a half, two years leading up to when we went to market was huge for us. Ryan, we'll switch over to you for a second uh, in terms of Paycor, because what's interesting is, you know, you didn't have a prior naming rights deal, yeah. right? And so you were guys, you're in a unique situation. You're also not in the LA market, right? So different, different market, different sport. Can you uh, enlighten us a little bit on the process there? Yeah. So, so this is a conversation we've been having for years on, um, you know, about, we were one of three NFL stadia without a naming rights partner. Uh, so from a revenue and with relocation and different things happening, we're always evaluating our assets and our levers to pull to drive more revenue. And that's obviously a big one. And, and um, so, you know, we actually started the process in March of 2021 20, um, and we hired Wasserman to come in and evaluate it. And it wasn't just naming rights, our gates and entrances have never been sold. So it was kind of a, a whole evaluation of different big opportunities that we could take to market. Um, and we were going to go to market and, and start selling, you know, organically selling naming rights, uh, you know, during last fall, towards the end of the year into this spring. So um, we decided to sell internally ourselves. And, and that's a big change, right? You're taking a family name off the stadium, um, a name that's been there and synonymous. And so um, it was different. And, and we felt like, you know, a lot of the research, as you guys probably know, when you look around the naming rights landscape, it's 80 plus percent are brands that are headquartered or, or in that local market. So for us, we had relationships and we went to all of our, our local partners and, you know, we're very fortunate and, and uh, grateful that Paycor stepped up because it's great to have a growing company that just went public within the last year and a half, uh, trying to make a national presence throughout the country that's headquartered here in Cincinnati. Uh, for them to step up and and invest in the team and invest in the city and just you know plant their flag uh, is huge. So that process, you know, they were a partner of ours already. Uh, we used their HR software already back to to 2018, um, and so the discussion was simply a cup of coffee uh, just to say, hey, here's what's coming. They said, yeah, we'd love to see it, and we started that process in March of this year, and then it was. Uh, you know, all hands on deck to get a lot of things up and running for the season. So, um, and it really, the negotiation and real discussions really started this summer. So it's even a more fast pace than, than people might think. It's that easy. Just yeah, I wish a cup of coffee, a couple of conversations, uh, Shelby. I mean, when you think about, uh, the LA market and, and Ryan just mentioned kind of getting everything ready to go for a season, um, talk a little bit about just like, what's that process? Like once you get that, yes, you, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about just from the announcement to, uh, where's the name going? Like all of those sorts of things. How does that, how does that work? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a whole team, uh, that's ready, um, in place. And for us, we had a date, so we needed, you know, contract everything by a certain date for groundbreaking because that date was not moving. So September 17th, 2021 is when we broke ground. Um, and so 
really the process for naming rights with Intuit started in January. Um, and so you can see January to September, it took that entire time. And, you know, we needed everything to be up and running by groundbreaking as well. So to be able to meet with the communications PR team to get the press announcement out there to work with the media outlets. Um, there is a whole communication plan that our teams work together on. There is a whole community plan that our teams work together on getting all the signage up and running. We also built out a experience center. So like a preview center in our offices in downtown LA. So we had to get all of the signage up and running for that as well to let the media come through for different media tours um, that week. So there was a lot that went into the groundbreaking week and then beyond as well. And we're in a fortunate position where, you know, we were three years out um, from opening. And so we had that runway to continue building that relationship with Intuit, their agency, um, understanding, you know, a lot of their key priorities and making sure that we get it right for when we do open the doors. Um, so the process doesn't end by any means. It's just an ongoing process. And we're continuing to communicate with other departments and key internal stakeholders from community, from sustainability, technology, and making sure that we're aligned and we're integrating every way that Intuit wants to be integrated. There's a, there's a lot of um, amazing um, information that you both just gave. If I am in grad school right now um, at Ohio University, what are the top three skills that I need to have if I want to get into this area? Patience, number one. <laughs> um, flexibility. Patience, 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 Shelby. Yeah, I would just say patience all the way, 100%. Okay. Ryan, what about you? For me, for me, persistence, like there's, you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get, uh, it doesn't matter what brand you're with. Like I remember when I was in high school sports or NASCAR, um, you know, there's always objections. There's always hurdles in the sales process. So be like patience is great, but you also need to be persistent in a pleasant way so that you stay top of mind with different prospects. Right. How do you, how do you, or what are your tips to do just that, to be persistent without being annoying and without turning someone off, understanding that you have goals to hit? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, you're managing your pipeline to make sure that you have enough so that you, if you have a bunch of no's that you still have enough to get to your goal. So that's, that's on the sales rep themselves. Um, but I think, you know, I've always said people will never buy from someone they don't like, uh, or, or very rarely will they buy from someone you don't, they don't like. So it sounds uh, cheesy, but you know, just smiling and, and being kind and, and easy to talk to. And if someone tells you no, instead of getting frustrated with them, staying in touch and following up and, and being understanding that they have budgets and they have bosses to report to. And, and um, so it's not always perfect. I think you know, you, you have to, to find ways to be different and to stay top of mind, um, but also being persistent and, and making the ask to get to a yes or a no. And we've all heard it. Like sometimes a no is better than nothing. Like you get them to know fast so then you can move on and continue to build a relationship without a deal in place. I would also say solution oriented. That's one thing, um, just being able to provide solutions. That's what we're in the business of. And so if 
the prospect that you're talking to has a priority and you need to come up with a solution. You just make sure that you offer up solutions that make sense for both sides because the organization is going to push one agenda. The brand is going to have another priority and objective that they need to hit as well. So you need to meet in the middle and just come up with solutions um, to provide them. And, and in order to get to solutions, so we're just going to piggyback off each other here, <laughs> you have to listen. Like, it, like we all have the same stuff. Like we, we all have social and digital. We all have stadium signage. We all have sideline LED. Like we all have the same stuff. It is, are you sitting in a room and truly listening to what the client's saying? If you're going in and you're pitching assets, your, your close rate is going to be pretty low. If you listen to what they're actually trying to accomplish and you can turn that discussion and turn your assets as solutions for those, those objectives, you got a much better chance. And I think especially young salespeople in, in the partnership world, they get really locked into how many radio spots, how many minutes of LED, what's this sign look, how cool does it look? And it's really more about is it brand awareness? Is it community engagement? Is it share of voice, share of heart? Like, really understanding the partner's objectives requires you to stop talking and just ask great questions and listen. Ryan, how do you ask great questions? Like it's easy to say, but it's yep. another thing to be actually be able to do it. And you're not dealing with most of the time, the marketing manager, whomever you're dealing with the CMO, you're dealing with the CEO. So your questions have to be on point you know, thoughtful, concise, like how do you create that skill uh, and, and evolve it over time? So, so in my opinion, it's a little bit of experience. Like you, you understand over time, the, the number of times you've made phone calls or different pitches, what types of questions elicit a good response, open-ended um, probing. Like, so if they, if they don't give you a great response, ask it again in a different way. Um, and so a little bit of experience and a little bit of understanding their business on the front end to the best of your ability. I mean, I, one of the favorite things about my job is I get to learn about all different kinds of industries at 30,000 feet from nacho cheese. We have a, a nacho cheese partner to HR solutions, to banking, to auto, like that's cool, but you have to be interested in at least gaining some type of knowledge to know what kind of questions to even ask. So a little bit of research and a little bit of just experience and knowing the types of questions um, that will elicit a response. And then don't be afraid to like tap into other, it's not just one person anymore. The CMO doesn't have all the answers. So go to the marketing manager, go visit and talk to someone else in HR, you know, see, see if there's other angles that can play and get you data points that can help uh, in the pitch. Shelby, any insights to add there? I mean, those were those were spot on uh, probing questions. Definitely just you can never ask too many questions, but also don't make it feel like an interview where you're just question after question after question. You know, really listen, seek to understand what they're saying and not be ready for that next question that you want to ask. But be the best sellers are able to digest what that brand just said and be able to reflect on it and mention it in the next question as well, to really understand some of their key priorities. And that's what it is. It's you need to come out of that initial fact-finding meeting, understanding their brand, doing a brand deep dive um, and understanding what their key priorities are. 
I got one last question before we get to Laura's favorite part of the episode, which is rapid fire. Uh, but you get these big deals done, right? And then it's like, on to the next. Um, so how, as a, as a partnership sponsorship seller, do you still celebrate the win, but also you, you, you're, you're on to the next deal? Great Jake. Yeah, you celebrate for about 24 hours and then it's, okay, what's in your pipeline <laughs> as a seller? And so it's just, it's maintaining that pipeline. Um, obviously a lot of work went in and a lot of work and time went into the naming rights process but during that time it was key for me to have other conversations um because whether or not that was going one direction or another i needed to be prepared for my upcoming season as well and so that's what we've um learned here with the clippers is we have this long-term project and so we're always out in the market looking for official founding level partners for the intuit dome now um, but we also have, you know, two regular seasons before we play at the Intuit Dome and we have goals to hit each of the next two seasons. And so it's um, filling your pipeline um, and having ongoing conversations with brands. So you celebrate those wins, but it's it's on to the next, but also still maintaining that relationship that you that you were able to build um, throughout that process, too. I've always felt like you take the positive energy, um, you know, it's, it's hard to make additional calls or, or try and get fill the pipeline after a bunch of no's. So before I go celebrate, I try and use some of the positive energy from a closed deal to, to get on the phone or, or follow up with a few people and use that excitement to, to drive some immediate activity in the pipeline. But, um, you know, I think anytime you get a deal like these types of deals, it's something, uh, you know, to, it, one of the highlights of, of a sponsorship seller's career, right? Like opening a new facility, being a part of a new team, uh, you know, selling naming rights. Those are kind of the marquee things. So, you know, I think Shelby and I probably feel like it's awesome that, that we'll have this to talk about for our careers, but we're not done. Like we have other things we want to accomplish. I don't know, Ryan, I'm retiring at age are you? Uh, 31. Right, I love it. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I support that. I support that wholeheartedly. All right. My favorite part of this segment, mostly because I just enjoy seeing Jake struggle through it, um, is right. And you both will see if you haven't listened to another episode, he's come a long way. But rapid fire. I'm going to ask the goal here is to ask a question that allows you to have a quick response, A or B. Okay. Got it. I'm gonna kick it off because I'm gonna give Jake some time to, to get it together, right? Okay. Both of you are in sales, post-meeting, immediate follow-up email, handwritten thank you note. Handwritten. I do a text message. I'm, Saucy. I'm, wow. yeah, I'm, it's still, I'm still old school. I still do handwritten notes. Hey, okay, okay. There's no wrong answer here, by the way. Okay, Jake. In-person meeting or Zoom? In person all day. In person, but both as well. <laughs> whatever we can, whatever I can get at this point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> whatever I can get. Okay. Um, okay, next one. National brand coffee. Coffee at home. National brand. 
hit or miss. <laughs> it's not. A, I'm not a coffee every day guy. Really? Yeah. I, and I gave up coffee three months ago. <sighs> oh, do you did get you transition to tea? I did transition to tea. Welcome aboard. Uh, anyways. Thing. They are not the same thing. They are not. I don't like either, but they are not the same thing. I do other forms of caffeine, like, like other, like uh, different kinds of drinks. Not like, like energy drink. Uh, not a big energy drink, but like, like spark, like pre-workout stuff. I don't like hot. hot yeah. Drink. Are you, are you pre-scooping dry? Are you no, like, no, <laughs> no, I am shaking up cold. I'm not, I'm not dry scooping. No. Okay. I've yet to, I've seen, I've seen the TikTokers do the dry scoop. Yep. I'm not, not there yet. I'm not. I'm too I'm old. Not That's why someone called me, sir. I'm too old for dry scoops. <laughs> I feel like it's just, you're just going to choke and like die. And <laughs> yeah. I would hate for that to be the call home to my parents. Like that's the way I went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She dry scooped at the gym and stopped breathing. <laughs> Laura, that wasn't rapid fire. Come on. Uh, no, it right. was rapid fire, but then it was a follow-up because there was, that is a thing people can relate to. Fair. Jake. Fair. Fair. Uh, next question. Uh, both of you, if you could pick uh, any stadium you would go to that you haven't been to yet, which one would it be? In the world. In the world? Tottenham's new stadium for me. Can I pick golf course? Augusta oh. is on my list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Really? Shelby's got the best answers. This is great. I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much because I would not have, but it is a stadium. It is a thing. Okay. Okay, last one. This is our last one. Okay. Roller blades or roller skates? Blades. Skates, because I can't blade. <laughs> Jake, do you make it a face? Like, do you know the difference? It's been 20 years probably since I've been on blades, but I was a street hockey player growing up. I mean, up. I played roller hockey growing up, so. Four wheels? Yeah. To get like oh, spread two. out? Old two. school, like roll bounce skate no, no, no. or like blades? <laughs> Come out to LA. You'll see them all on the board. Right. They're coming back. They're coming they back. Are. They are. They're all coming the, back. All the Everything's cool cyclical. things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All the cool things. I keep telling people I've been wearing athleisure my entire life. Y'all just got the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got, I got one to wrap up the episode. Favorite sport outside of the big four or big five, we'll call it, that, you, that you've all worked in. I'm a degenerate golfer, so I, I I I don't know if golf is considered one of the big four or five, but I I love the game of golf. Likewise, we are all. Oh, it's that pickleball! I was waiting for the pickleball answer. Come on. <clears throat> okay. I haven't gotten pickleball. there yet. We have some great courts here in Cincy that they just did like straight, like right downtown. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up playing a lot of tennis. I need I need to I need I've played a few times. I need to get in the mix. It's kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. I yeah. play with him and he kicks my, you know what, and he's 70 something. So 
He's he's like I, the pickleball pro of the lifetime now. He's like that. It's very it's very humbling. It's uh, a very thing. That's the next thing you guys have to sell. You both have to sell like a pickleball tournament on, on the field or on the court. Like I, that's a huge. I got. I have three gate entrances. I still need to sell. Then, I, then <laughs> okay. I'll get to pickleball. Deal. Hoop them in. That's how you got a whole new arena to sell. So, you know, (laughs) in the arena, you could throw a pickleball court situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Crossover, pickleball, and basketball. Love it. Love it. (laughs) On the concourse, too. I mean, you're like, you could have multiple going on at the same time. No doubt. You have a whole demo. I I could see it. You're onto something. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just saying, LeBron bought a team. That's the wrong team for it. We bought eighteen, not eighteen, a type of eighteen. Just saying. Shelby, Ryan, really (laughs) insights, perspectives. Thanks for joining us on season three, episode one of uh, Life After Court Street on the Life in the Front Office podcast, presented by Studio Organic. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.